Hey guys, this is Steven from Black Tide, and you are listening to Iron City Rock. What's up, everybody? This is Tony from Pop Evil, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Check it out. Hello and welcome to episode 120 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John. The Iron City Rocks podcast is a podcast devoted to promoting Pittsburgh's rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues music. Episode 120, we have one but two special guests. From the band Black Tide, we have Steven Spence. Black Tide have a new album out called Postmortem available everywhere so we're going to talk to him about that and they will be at the first niagara pavilion in burgettstown as part of the uproar festival so we wanted to give you a chance to get to know the band a little bit so we talked to steve and we'll play you a track from the new album and then also joining us on the show one of my personal favorite new bands a band called pop evil tony grieve uh who is the guitarist of the band will join us and we're going to chat about all things pop evil uh, I want to introduce you to them, get a uh, track on from them, and get you to know the band, and hopefully we can get them into the Berg soon. So, without further ado, we're going to get into an interview with Stephen Spence of the band Black Tide. From the band Black Tide, Stephen Spence. How you doing, Stephen? Great, man. Thank you so much for having me. Great, great. We're excited to get the opportunity to talk to you here on the eve of the release of the new album. Um, if we could just kind of go back, and I don't want to belabor the point of the age of the band because I know that seems to be a lot of what people focus on. What I'm kind of curious about, you guys probably came of age to music in the 90s. Would that be a fair statement? Uh, sure. Sure. What uh, what kind of influences on you guys as you know, sort of a metal band in a, in a decade that was kind of maybe lacking some metal, so to speak. What kind of influences have we, what what, what were our influences, or I'm not... I'm, I'm yeah, sorry. exactly. Like, what would you consider, uh, you know, from the era that you grew up in, what kind of influence did you guys have? Were you listening to contemporary, kind of the stuff that was on the radio? Yeah, or? absolutely, actually, absolutely. Actually, we were listening to pretty much everything with uh, all the guys in the band, especially where we're at now. But as we were growing up, um, it was a little bit more of the old stuff and, uh, you know, the 80s stuff. We were listening to a lot of Iron Maiden, a lot of Motley Crue, and, mm-hmm. and a bunch of like things like that when we were growing up. But as, as you know, as time's going on, we're progressing as musicians and songwriters and what we listen to. And we don't, one thing is we never like to limit ourselves with whatever it is, you know, in life. And that includes music. So we listen to pretty much everything now. Um so our sound is progressing. We've never had an agenda to to be something other than musicians that are creative and like to mm-hmm. play what they feel. Sure. Do um, you want to talk a little bit about how um, you guys kind of got started with the first album, The Life From Above? How did you kind of catch the eye of the record companies? Right. Okay. So what the guys did when the band was called Radio back in the day, mm-hmm. they played a festival called the FMS Festival in Orlando, Florida, which is kind of like a mini South by Southwest, okay. if you will. And, um, you know, got some attention 
ended up getting on uh, 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 the attention of a publisher, and then, you know, just different label interests, and what happened was, you know, Interscope ended up showing the most interest and then getting the guys out, and, you know, at that point, I was joining the band, and we went out to record our first record. Things were moving really quickly, and uh, we went to record our first record in Chicago with Johnny Kay, got out, started touring, and, you know, four years later, or five years later, here we are. And now, the new one. now, when you look back at, at Life from Above, do you think that that fairly represented the band at that period of time? I know a lot of times bands get kind of overwhelmed. You know, you're with a label, you've got A&R people, you've got all, all these creative influences. Do you think, looking back, that the album was a fair representation of the band at the time? Oh, absolutely. Like I said, you know, um, when we don't have an agenda. We're not trying to do anything mm-hmm. other than play what we like and what we feel. And at that point of time, that's a hundred percent what where we were at. Okay. You know? um, so you know, like I said, we were just influenced by what we were listening to and what we really liked. And you know, our our sound has progressed, and it's been actually a pretty natural progression. If you look at the if you look at the time frame as mm-hmm. far as you know when we released or when we were writing for the first album, some of the songs that were on the first record, Gabriel wrote when he was ten years old. Yeah, you know, and now you know he's eighteen, going to be nineteen in November. You know, that's eight, nine years. Sure. And and I mean, it might not seem such. It might seem like more of a drastic progression, just because you know we released Light from Above in two thousand eight, and now we're releasing Postmortem, which is a bit different in in, in now in two thousand eleven. So it might seem like a quick progression, but in reality, it's been it's been a natural progression over over quite a you know a good amount of time. Sure, yeah, that's literally half his lifespan. And we. Exactly. So we uh, we we can only you know play what we want, and we're mm-hmm. a real band, and we we're, we we like to play what we feel. And if, sure. if we didn't, then we just would, we would be we want we want to be true to ourselves no matter what. Yeah. Now I have to say how refreshing that is to hear an artist say that their previous album was a good representation. So many times when bands are in the situation where you guys are, where you're about to release the follow-up album, bands will kind of talk ill of the previous album like especially if there's a departure in sound so that's great and you guys obviously you you did Ozfest uh you guys did do you guys do the Mayhem tour at one point as well Yeah actually we did the first annual Mayhem tour so we did Mayhem in 2008 which was an honor you know to be out with all those bands and make yeah. a bunch of friends so it was great Yeah that is is uh, I experienced my first Mayhem festival just a few months ago and it, it was a really really uh, uh, a great environment, you know, and obviously you guys are going to be doing the Uproar yeah. Festival. You guys had the opportunity to open for Iron Maiden, though, at one point, didn't you? Yeah, actually, we um, we were fortunate enough to meet those guys out in Europe. We played a couple festivals with them. And then um, on their current world tour that they're on right now, we played the U.S. dates with them. So it was very cool. There was only a couple shows in Florida, you know, that they played in the U.S. Sure. But it was awesome to see, you know, that type of you know, show on the other side. We were on stage with, you know, a band that's inspired us, and it was extremely inspiring to play a, a hometown show, you know, to say the least. Yeah. Like that, you know, playing a, being made support for Maiden in a, in a sold-out arena is, is like a, one of our lifetime goals that we can say we've done, so that's pretty amazing. Yeah, hats off for not being paralyzed with fear, just the combination of the hometown show and the fact that you've got Maiden following you on the bill. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the new album? Um, you know, how maybe sonically it's different from the first? Um, like I said, it's just a progression. We, we're not really trying to do anything. We actually, um, 
how how the process was different from the first. We were actually we began writing when we were on the road on Wolf Tour, 2009, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been you know a, a long journey to say the least. We wrote about approximately 50 songs for Postmortem, and then over over time we finally narrowed it down to the 10 that we thought fit the record best. You know, when we were when we were writing songs, we weren't like, okay, now we need a heavy song, and now we need yeah. this song, and now we need an acoustic song, and now that's not what we were out to do. We were just out to write what we feel and write what we felt at the moment and just different things that we were going through. So sure. at the end, when we had 50 songs, after that point, we were we narrowed it down to what we thought felt best. You know, and I think music is best when it's really um, inspired by passion. So so that's what we have with postmortem. That's why. It, it really means a lot to us, and the lyrical content is so much deeper, and 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 it's all about experiences that we've left, you know, we've been through on the road. So. Sure. Now you guys did a song uh, with featured Matthew Tuck on vocals. You want to talk about how the collaboration came to be? Yeah, absolutely. Um, at that point, we already finished tracking that song, and we were on tour with Bullet, and we, you know, we met those guys back in 2008. We've become good friends with them on the road. Um, so we were back on tour with them again, and, you know, we were hanging out one night, and it was literally, Matt came up to us when we were playing him this song. He's like, dude, why didn't you, uh, he came up to me and Gabriel, and he was talking, he was like, yo, why didn't you, uh, why didn't you have to sing on the, on the album? And we were just like, uh, are you serious? <laughs> He's like, yeah, we were, uh, we were flattered, you know, we were, I think we both started blushing. <laughs> so yeah. it, it was, it was awesome to say the least, you know, when you get, when you make friends on the road and you get to reconnect with them and then you, you realize that they actually care and we're always hanging out and those guys are great to us and it just w- worked out that our New York show was like two days away from that point and that's where we tracked the record. So we made a couple calls and it worked out so um, Matt got in the studio and he killed it. Now did, um, is this the first time you guys did with Garth Richardson as producer? Yeah, that's the first time we are dealing with Garth. Did um, was that experience? How did that experience go? Was he? Uh, did he help you whittle down those fifty songs, or did he just kind of let you guys do what you do? And well, Josh Wilbur was on the project from the beginning, and then um, everyone decided to pull in to bring in Garth into the table. Um, and it, uh, the thing I like about working with multiple producers is because we also worked with a producer named Jim Johnson and a producer named Dave Schiffman mm-hmm. um, for different tracks and. The thing I like about working with multiple producers is the separation of powers. It's kind of like a checks and balances system that we've got sure. going on. You know, it's kind of like majority rules, you know. So we always fight for what we want. But if it comes down to it and, you know, I'm not liking something, but Gabriel's liking something, and then and one of the producers is liking something, you know, I mean, we always go for whoever or, or the majority. So it's kind, of a, it's kind of cool to have that kind of separation. Mm-hmm. Now, the album comes out on the 23rd, which, as we're recording this, is tomorrow. Uh, I just saw on your Facebook page, it's actually available in the U.K. now. So uh, it's got to be yeah. very exciting to kind of put the baby out. And then you guys are hitting the road, what, the end of this week for the Uproar Festival? Well, actually, you just got picked up by our bus yesterday. Okay. So we're on our way up to New York. We've got a, um, a release thing coming up there, and then we've got a production day for Uproar. But, yeah, on the 26th, it's... it's Kicking off in Camden. Great. And then you'll be in in our market, which is Pittsburgh, I believe, the 16th of September, if memory serves me correct. 
Uh, and that's, that's gotta be an exciting. Is, is the uproar uh, very similar in layout to the Mayhem Festival? Um, it's gonna be similar. It's just gonna be a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, you've got a, a killer lineup. We had the uh, pleasure of having the guys from Art of Dying come on the show, and it's, it's a great band. So okay, cool. It's going to be, I think, a really great event. All right, Stephen, I, I want to thank you for coming on the show, man. Absolutely appreciate it. Thank you for having me, John. You wanna hear you ramble on about how I'm mad Fire! So after all this time you're still so blind I thought I was yours you must have gone and lost your mind I took it all there's nothing left that you're showing me with your
prowess and proficiency of Dream Theater in a dramatic tour of events. October 4th, Trib Total Media Amphitheater. The new album, A Dramatic Turn of Events, available September 13th. Special guest, Trivium. Your research seat tickets are on sale now at all Ticketmaster locations at Ticketmaster.com or 1-800-745-3000. More at DreamTheater.net. Net. All right, again, a very special thanks goes out to Steven Spence of the band Black Tide for joining us on the show. The track you heard there was called That Fire. And a thank you to Brian from their PR team for hooking us up with that interview. Also, you heard a, a little snippet there about the Dream Theater Trivium show coming to the Trib Total Media Amphitheater. Uh, for any fans of metal, this might be one of the last big gasps of the summer. Uh, even though it's in early October, it's great to see another outdoor show. Uh, hoping we pack the place down there. So invite you to check that out. You can get tickets for that at Ticketmaster.com. Iron City Rocks would also like to welcome... Uh, new sponsor, Progressions Music Studio out in uh, the North Hills. So we're going to give you a little bit of information on them. And then we're going to get into an interview with Tony Grieve of the band Pop Evil. Uh, as many of you know, I've done a ton of interviews uh, since starting this show. I've interviewed some of my biggest heroes, um, some relatively unknown artists. I have to say, Tony was one of the most enjoyable people to talk to. It was really cool to kind of shoot the breeze with him about music, uh, both on tape and off tape. I always wanted to learn to play guitar, but never had the time. Then I heard about Progressions Music Studio. Progressions introduced me to an entirely new and convenient method of music instruction. They brought the music to me. The instructors from Progressions Music Studio came to my home with their knowledge and expertise, which saved me time and money. They worked around my schedule and tailored the program around my needs and skill level. Best of all, I learned to play music like a guitar king of the 1960s. We didn't spend all of our time with drills or tunes from the 1860s. Progressions Music Studio offers a lot more than guitar. In fact, they have instructors for almost all instruments. Now I can rock it out on my electric like never before. Just imagine what they can do for you or the budding musician in your family. Don't make excuses, make music. Check them out on the web at progressionsmusicstudio.com. That's P-R-O-G-R-E-S-S-I-O-N-S, musicstudio.com. Or call 724-777-4678. The show. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to the show from the band Pop Evil, Tony Grieve. How are you doing today, Tony? Good. I'm doing awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Uh, as I, I mentioned to you before the interview, of uh, fallen in love with your latest album, uh, especially Monster You Made. The, the track Monster You Made. I know my wife is ready to kill me if I walk around the house singing it anymore. So I was delighted, <laughs> delighted to get you guys. That's awesome to hear that, though, man. It's cool to know you're. Uh... You're uh, digging the ballads. Absolutely. Um, you guys out of Michigan, correct? Yep. Yep. We're based. Uh, the band's based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, but we're kind of, uh, sp- you know, spread out around the area. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I'm from a small town. I'm from a town called uh, Whitehall, Michigan. You know, okay. um, it's right outside of Muskegon. We're uh, Matt's from Muskegon. Um, Lee's originally from Muskegon. Grand Rapids now. Dave's from Grand Rapids. So we're all kind of. Uh, you know, we're re- real close together, but um, different towns. Yeah, West and, Michigan area. You know, in, in Michigan, you've got such a, a rich history of, of bands. You know, Kid Rock and Ted Nugent. Dude, yeah, Kid Rock, Eminem, Ted Nugent. Um, so yeah. you know, Madonna. Yeah, yeah. Heart easy to overlook. One of the most popular singers of all time. Yeah, you know, 
Exactly. A lot of a lot of great artists. You, you got Wayne Statics from uh, from here. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, uh, Wayne's like uh, his, his his family. Like, I mean, they're pretty much like right up the road here from uh, from um, where I grew up. You know. So yeah. That's pretty cool. So so growing up. Growing up, uh, Tony, what kind of stuff were you into? You know, influenced like what? What influenced you as a guitarist? Dude, like growing up for me, it was um, you know, I, mean, I, I listened to like a lot of a lot. I mean, a, a ton of different bands, ton, you know, a ton of different styles of music, and it kind of went in phases. Mm-hmm. But um, I would say like my two main guys growing up, I mean, were for sure, without a doubt, uh, Slash and Dimebag Daryl. Okay. You know, and both bands included Guns N' Roses and Pantera. Certainly. Um, were by far my number two, my number two guys, you know, it's like, I would just, I mean, those are the kind of, those are the kind of guys that you just don't see in rock and roll anymore, you know? No. The kind well, of guys that, like, you, the kind of guys you look at as a kid and you're like, I, I want to be that guy. Like, when I grow up, I want to be like him, you know? Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, there's two guys that had, uh, even before you heard them play a note, had an element of coolness about them, you know, dying with the red streak in his hair and Slash. Yeah, and Slash didn't like need to play. Yeah, they're just like these characters, you know, and they just like suck you in. Like, they're just, they definitely, uh, both of them definitely have something uh, special yeah. and unique about them, you know. Um, but I was a big Stevie Ray Vaughan fan too, man. Like, I went through, you know, probably around the age of like, I don't know, like 14, I got introduced to Stevie Ray Vaughan, and I was, I went through like a big blues kick that year, man, where that's all I did was play blues, listen to blues, and. Nothing wrong with that. I, I, Stevie Ravana, such a talent and just had such an explosive guitar style. I love it. If you get the chance, Al, Albert King, um, I, don't, I don't know if you're familiar with his work. but I, I am familiar with him, absolutely. Yeah, that's a, you can. He's, a, he's amazing, too. Yeah, you can and really like, follow those influences. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. You can follow Stevie Ray's influences from Albert King, and it's it's so clear. He's kind of like his bands, and exactly. for sure. You know, and that's one thing I loved about like that stint that I had with um with uh blues and like getting into Steve Ray Vaughan and stuff like that is that um as far as guitar playing goes, like um that really pushed me as um an improv guitar player. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would jam with these guys. Um, it was so funny. Like my, you know, I was like 14 years old, and um I found these guys had um I found an ad on a music store bulletin board. Mm-hmm. You know, looking for lead guitar player, like into this kind of music, and and um, so my I couldn't even drive yet, dude. So my mom <laughs> took me and uh, and uh, dropped me off at this house, and um, these guys were probably in their like honestly mid to, mid to late thirties at the time, you know, ancient and, um, for teenagers, huge, huge potheads, you know, <laughs> huge potheads. Of course, my my mom didn't know that. I remember it was Chris and Paul Nugent, and uh, my parents didn't know, but it was awesome at the time. It was great, you know. So I'd go over there and. Um, Hang out with these guys, and we we would smoke, and and uh, yeah, think about that, right? I'm 14, hanging out with these guys, doing yeah. that. But it was awesome because they were these guys were into the blues, so, and um, these guys turned me on to Steve Ray Vaughan. I'm like, who's Steve Ray Vaughan? I didn't know at the time, or who, what's what is all this stuff? Mm-hmm. So they got me into all this stuff, and it was cool because they had like a jam room set up, and I would stay there, you know, on the weekends, and all we would do is like we never even really like learned songs, like bits and pieces, but yeah. we would jam for like. I'm talking like an hour and a half, two two hours at a time. Where and we take little breaks, go back and jam again, you know. And it was all like improv playing, where it taught you to play from, the, like just play from the gut and play with feel, and to learn how to play off the other players. Wow, yeah, that's that's awesome to hear. A, a guy, you know, a, a, you know, you're not 
uh, you're a younger guy, and to hear that come out is great because you don't hear a lot of that, and you know you don't think of kids nowadays who are twelve, thirteen, getting together and just doing kind of freeform jamming, you know. So that's that's yeah, cool. absolutely not. So I feel very blessed to have had people like that in my mm-hmm. life along the way to influence me. Like, because if I would have never met them, who knows? Maybe I would have never gotten into any of that stuff, which hence maybe I wouldn't be the guitar player that I am at the moment. You know. Sure. Sure. So it's like it all definitely plays a big role in that, and uh, I'm very lucky to have had that experience. Certainly. Now the band um, uh, Pop Evil, you guys kind of, I think, kind of. Uh, correct me if if your impression is different, but kind of grown, got people's attention with uh, 155. Uh, was kinda, I, I agree, man? Yeah. And, and and what was that experience like? I mean, you, bef- you know, before the song came out to after the song came out. I mean, is it did it radically change the kind of venue you guys played or? Yeah, obviously you had some incredible touring opportunities with that album. Big time. Um, it really didn't, you know, because, like, I mean, I don't know, we're, we're the kind of band where, you know, I mean, literally, truly and honestly, we will play anywhere and everywhere, like club size. Any, I mean, none of that matters. Dude. We'll play for whoever wants to listen, man, because we just love music. We love playing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, But our first single was Hero, and... You know, when that came out, we got on our very first tour, which was with uh, Saving Able, and uh, Puddle of Mud was the headliner. Mm-hmm. And so we did that tour for a while, and 155 came out. And, um, I mean, there's no question that that song helped definitely take it from, where, where, you know, when Hero came out to the next level. Sure. Um, for sure. I mean, it's still, like, I mean, it's still one of the biggest biggest songs that we have, that and Hero, you know, mm-hmm. um, which were our first two releases, which is super awesome. Um, but, um yeah, I mean, still, you know, like, we'll go from, like, we've got to do some amazing tours, you know, with, uh, like, we toured with Judas Priest and White Snake on one tour to, you know, Tesla to, I mean, you know, bands, bands of that caliber to, uh, Theory of a Dead Man, Chevelle. Mm-hmm. Just, it seems like a little bit of everything. Anything from, like, you know, of course, like, Priest being massive, anything from, like, arena shows with them to, you know, small club shows for a hundred people. Sure. And, that's, and it's awesome every time, either way you want to slice it, you know? You know, and it's, it's good to hear that because, you know, I mean, so many bands, I think, especially that have, that have kind of come up in the area that you guys have, seem to get into package tours, and they're with bands that are so similar, and that's all they do. But it's good to hear, you know, you guys go out, and, and you don't sound like Judas Priest. I mean, you're not, you know, lightweights right. in comparison to Judas Priest, but, I mean, Judas Priest is Judas Priest. But to get you guys in front of those kind of audiences, in front of Chevelle, you know, that that's it's it's smart. You know, don't just tour with a band that sounds exactly like you. That's Absolutely, man. I think I think diversity is good for a show, period, you know? Absolutely. Like, like who like who wants to sit through, you know, four bands that are all the same? Like, exactly. Make for a good show, you know? Yeah. I mean, because you're going to end up attracting and, uh, people who would have been fans anyway. Right, and yeah. I think different is always good. Because, I mean, no matter what, you know, it's like whether, like, even, you know, us playing with Judas Priest, you know, those fans are still, they're rock and roll fans. Mm-hmm. You know, if you got, you know, if you can capture them with your music, I mean, that's just more fans that, you know, you wouldn't have had before, you know. Exactly. It's cool because, like, I'll see, like, we'll, we'll, like the age range of people that come to our shows is, is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, anywhere from, like, 12-year-old kids to, you know, people people in their, to men and women in their 50s. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that has a lot to do with, like, you know, touring with, you know, Priest and and Tesla and, kept, you know, capturing their audience and crowd and, yeah, and uh, anyway, all the way to, like, playing with Framing Hanley. 
Yeah. But dude, I gotta tell you, the, the pre-shows were funny, man. I won't say funny, but like, Jewish priest fans are diehard fans. Absolutely. Without a doubt, you know? Mm. So like, we're the new band, nobody knows who we are, so it was so funny. I remember like the very first show, um, that we did on that tour, we were backstage and it was so cool, you know? In an arena, the lights are getting ready to go down. Yeah. I'd never been in an arena show on the other side before. Yeah, the adrenaline starts popping. Yeah, I love that feeling in an arena when the lights go down, dude, and the crowd mm. just goes, oh, you know, goes crazy. It's like the, it's the coolest thing ever. So we're back there. We're getting pumped about it. I'm like, dude, this is awesome. So as soon as the lights go down, dude, we haven't even walked out yet. <laughs> all, you, all, all we heard was, boo, <laughs> priest. <laughs> they were like, bring out priest. You guys suck. I'm like, we suck, dude. We haven't even touched the note yet. <laughs> yeah. Like, but it was always cool because, like, it, the shows would all – like, it seems like every show would start that way, yeah. but by the end of the show, we ended up winning that crowd over. Yeah, that that has to be great. I mean, it, and it's it's certainly understandable. I mean, that uh, you know, I remember uh, going to see the Kisses reunion tour, uh, and then well, that, that was in '96, right? Yeah, and, and in Pittsburgh, at least Nixon uh, was the opening act, and they were not. You know, they probably would fill a club if they came through the same market, but. You know, I felt bad for those guys because you've waited 20 years to see Kiss, and no offense to Nixon, but could we speed this up? You know, but you know, I think right. you guys, you guys, um, you guys have what I think is a really good blend of it's metal enough for metal heads, but it's not ostracizing. You know, death growls are going to scare away people who are maybe not into stuff that's quite that heavy. Right, which 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 is cool because I think we'll gain a, more of that metal crowd than we normally would have. Because I'm a yeah. metalhead, man. Like, I grew up on, you know, like I said, Pantera and Iron Maiden, and that's just like, I'm a metalhead. I love that stuff, you sure. know? But there's still going to be the metalheads that are like, you know, oh, it's mainstream, it's like radio. I'm like, I'm not going to... They, they don't like to conform. Sure. Well, <laughs> They don't like to do what the masses are doing. So, like, I think that's why bands like Nickelback get, you know, people to hate on them. Like, they don't want to yeah. feel like... They're they're just following something just to follow it because that's what everybody's doing, you know. Yeah, and, and no offense, but I mean, it's cool time, in a way too. But as time passes, that. though, I think the perception that goes away because we can all look back and and say, you know, we don't want to conform to the masses. But at one point, Priest was selling millions of albums and people were buying them, so they were, you know, they were right. Kind of and, the that's what, and it's like, and it's like a lot of metalheads that are, you know, in that kind of we don't want to conform to that is like, well, last time I checked Pantera. <laughs> had a cult following. Exactly. You know? Or they've got a Metallica so, t-shirt on that came from uh, Sears, you know. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so it's, it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's cool though because it's a, it's a different time, you know. I think mm -hmm. it's like, I think it's a lot more open. I think people are a lot more open and successful. Success ah, I'm uh today. Yeah. Now, and, uh, uh, the new record, um, how do you guys write? I, I know you work with Johnny K as a producer who is you know, the man behind the new stained record yeah. and Megadeth and, and, and whatnot. But did you guys write in the studio? Did you have these songs kind of worked out before you got to we the had, studio? We had all the songs written and worked out before we went in. Mm -hmm. um, um, so we basically, we did a lot of our writing on the road while touring, mm -hmm. as we usually do. And we had like 30 to 40 songs to pick from. And we got, you know, narrowed them right down to about 12. That, okay. um, not that the other songs weren't good, but we just felt like, these songs in particular would fit together to make a good, complete, well-rounded album. Another another great concept of a well-rounded album instead of a collection of singles. That's a, that's a right. You know, I, I like. I, I don't want to. You know, I wouldn't want a, a CD or you know an album that had like three good songs and a bunch of fillers. Like, 
I don't want that. Like, I, if, like if I was a fan, I want to lose into something that's going to rock, just going to, you know, blow my socks off the whole way through. Exactly. You know, like when I listen to like the Great Southern Trend Kill or like Appetite for Destruction. Yeah. Um, I'm a, I'm a big Rancid fan. Like even when I listen to like An Outcome the Wolves by Rancid, like I won't skip through any songs, man. Like the whole album, you know, is just like that good all the way through. Exactly. Yeah, it's 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 good to hear a younger musician talk about the concept of an album as a whole. Now, um, I, I have. Oh, to, I was gonna, I'm sorry. Okay, go ahead. I, I was going to say that um, um, when we um, so we did that, but like a lot of those songs did change shape in the studio with Johnny. You know, hmm. it definitely did change shape. But um, when we write, it's kind of funny the way that we write. Like sometimes we write together, but um, a lot of times you know each of us will just like. Um, you know, Lee, uh, Dave, and I are definitely big writers, and a lot of times we don't end up really writing together. Sure. Like, like, like Dave will come to the band and he'll have like a full song written, or I'll come to the band and be like, hey, check this out, and I'll have like all the music for Last Man Standing, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we're all kind of loners in like our, in the way that we write. Mm-hmm. And then, it, but it seems to work for uh, our band, and then when it comes together, it just, it just meshes. You know, and then that's that's not a bad not a bad thing either. Because sometimes you have one guy write, you know, that can cause dissension. People leave bands. I mean, you you can know how that can be. Absolutely. Um, in, in in top evil, you know, we leave it open for whoever wants to write, whoever's willing to write. You know, bring it on. Because we with us, it's like it's never been about one guy. Mm-hmm. You know, writing. It's like we want the best songs for our sure. band. And, you know, if you can, like, you know, if I can, if I write that song or if Lee writes that song or if Dave writes that song, it doesn't matter who writes that song because in the end, if we, if we have the, you know, we have good songs, songs that people can grasp to, mm-hmm. then the whole band wins. Yeah, exactly. Now, if, if you can indulge just a couple of guitar questions. Um, yeah. Sure. Boss, boss's daughter, do you have a whammy pedal going on on that song? Or, or I'm hearing some... There is one going on with that. Okay. There's a cool story behind that is. Um, I co-wrote that with Mick Mars from Motley Crue. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, that was a trip, man, like, to be able to work with Mick. He's such a cool, down-to-earth, humble, respectable, uh, intelligent person and yeah. a hell of a guitar player. And so that was just, like, a dream come true in itself. Absolutely. But um, it was pretty cool. Like, I ended, you know, I mean, I, I wrote, a, like, let's see, like, I came like, with the chorus parts and, and um, the bridge and stuff like that. And then um, I remember when... Mick had that, he came up with that intro was it, with the Digitech Whammy pedal. Mm-hmm. But it was before we had any, like, really set structure to the to what we were working on at the time. And uh, I remember him doing it. He's like, man, I'm like, what is that? Like, that sounds messy. I'm like, how are we going to incorporate that into it? And it ended up being pretty sweet, man, as an intro. It was like, I was like, oh, that's what we're going to do with it. I'm like, that's sick. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. I was listening to the album earlier today, and I was like, I think I'm hearing Digitech, but, you know, maybe you're you're doing it. Every once in a while, I think I've nailed it. That has to be a Digitech whammy, and then it'll be somebody doing some funky Floyd Rose thing or something. Yeah, um, yeah, it was definitely a Digitech whammy. And that's what I liked about working with Mick, though, is the guy is so open and, like, mm-hmm. he's so creative. Yeah. Um, I didn't expect him to be that creative, being, like, um, an old-school player. Sure. I thought he'd stick more to like the basic roots, but this guy's—he's an experimentalist, man. He loves the sound effects and pedals and just venturing out and trying new and different things, you know. Yeah, I had heard he's actually working on a solo album. I'd be very, very interested to hear that. So yeah, that's... when I was with him, that's he was talking about. Um, uh, that he, he was talking about the fact that he was going to be doing one, but uh, 
I hadn't uh, heard anything else yeah. since, man, but I can't wait to hear it. Do you guys uh, collectively play in, in standard tunings or a particular drop tuning, or, or is it song uh, that's, a, no, that's, a, that's a great question. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because um, all sorts of different tunings. And the reason is, is like, um, like, for instance, Last Man Standing is a whole step down mm-hmm. and then dropped. Uh, Boss of Daughters, just a whole step down standard. Stigwilde's half step down drop, half step down standard tuning. And the reason for all the different tunings is, is I, I, one thing that I've learned is when you like write a song, mm-hmm. like if I'm writing guitar parts, and there, there's a certain feel to what you're playing with what you're writing and the tuning that you're in, the way that it's coming out. Sure. When you when you change that tuning, it alters. It doesn't feel the same. Sure. You know, like I, like when I wrote like Last Man Standing, you know, the intro that you know, I try that in drop D, you know, and it's just like like it's just not the same. Like it just yeah. lost like a lot of feel that yeah. it originally had. So like now when I like when I when I I'm in a certain tuning or a certain key and I write something, I um will make sure that we keep it in that key and that tuning. It makes for a lot of guitar changes. But yeah. It's a good excuse because it, good excuse to take more gear on the road. Right. But it gives the song its 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 own character and its own feel. You know, I think I think that has to do with a lot of diversity on the on the album. Is rather you're not it's not just one tuning all the way through. You know, you're hearing a bunch of different tunings and which is, you know, making for you know, different feel and different mm-hmm. sounds and different tones. Yeah. Now I uh, I have to ask, because uh, as I mentioned, I'm a big fan of this the monster you made song. Uh drop yeah. the half step down on that one? Um correct. Okay. Yep. I'm going to make sure because yep. I've seen people on YouTube kind of butcher it up in all kinds of different finger positioning <laughs> and stuff. I know you had to at least be in drop D unless you have the incredible ability to reach like five frets. Uh, unless you see V. Yeah. Hands, yeah exactly. Hands there for sure. Now you're a, you're a a Dean guitar guy. Is that correct? I'm a Dean player, man. Yeah, definitely. Now, do you play a particular series, or do you just have kind of a collection of stuff? I got dude. I got a ton of Dean guitars. I got a bunch of them. And, it, uh, you know, it's really cool. It couldn't have worked out better because, I mean, I'm endorsed by Dean, mm-hmm. but this, dude, Dean would be, like, my choice of guitars no matter what. That's what I'd be playing. I've got a, I've got the Dean logo tattooed on my wrist. Oh, that's that's devotion. Yes. So I'm, I'm, I'm dedicated, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a loyal Dean fan and player. Um, but i got a, a bunch of different ones, you know. Mm-hmm. I've got um, the Slime Razorback, okay. uh, Stealth, um, the Gold Top Cadillac. Okay. Which is cool because uh, that's actually one of a kind, you know. And I got another one that they're um, that Dean's making for me right now. It's a uh, it's another Cadillac, which I like the Cadillacs because um, they're it's you know it's it's a classy look. Yeah, it's still it's got that like you know like a Les Paul kind of style body exactly. where it's got that just a classy looking guitar, you know. And um, it's cool. It's uh, I'm having it. You know, they're making it like a dark, like a deep purple. Oh, and, uh, cool. They normally don't make them with. Uh, with uh, whammy bars on them, they're putting one on there for me, so it's pretty sweet, man. They're yeah, we just had way to uh, go for me, sure. On our sister uh, podcast, Signal of Noise, we just had Elliot uh, come on, and we did a full episode on uh, uh, the the dime bag line of products. So he talked about all all that stuff in the new line of dime amps and things like that. Now you're a uh, right, you're a crank amp. But do you still play that? Uh, you know, I, I was I was using crank for um, quite a while. Mm-hmm. I still, I still have a crank, you know. I still have the cranks, um, but I've been—I'll be honest with you—I've been using um, the, the amps that I've been using. 
is uh, it's called a Splon. Okay. I don't know if you've ever heard of these. It's no, like I have not. A boutique amp, like it's not a big company, mm-hmm. but um, dude, no joke. I mean, the seriously, seriously, one of the best sounding amps that I've heard in years, like with, without a doubt or competition. But for me personally, so what? You know, it, 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 it's it's a tube amp. It's a uh, it's so powerful though. Like I remember when I first tried it out, dude, it just like hit you in the chest, you know. But mm-hmm. it was so crystal clear, but yet heavy and aggressive. Mm-hmm. So I, I've been using that live right now, and um. And um, we've been um, using a custom custom uh, cabs. Okay. And custom makes some great stuff too, man. I was using some, I used some custom heads for a little while, but um, definitely using um, uh, all custom speakers, man. Okay. Cabs and, and everything. So. And then on the floor, do you do you take the uh, do you do the Digitech stuff, uh, the whammy on the? Do you take that with you on the road or? Um. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. I got it right, right in my pedal board, man. Excellent. Got it all set up and ready to go. So, and I don't use a ton. A ton of effects, you know. I don't really think that our stuff really calls for, you know, too much of it. But I got like a, a reverb pedal. Uh, sure. Let's see what I use: reverb, delay, um, a phaser, a Digitech, uh, uh, wh- uh, whammy pedal, um, a wah wah. Let's see. What else do I use? I mean, it's pretty. I keep it pretty basic and straightforward, yeah. you know. Yeah. I have a chorus pedal I use on like clean, clean stuff once mm-hmm. in a while, but that's really uh, that's really it. Excellent, excellent. Now, you guys are going to be doing a series of uh, kind of headlining shows, and then you're taking off with Three Doors Down and Theory of a Dead Man, correct, later in we the We are, park? man. Excellent. Yes, we are, which is uh, both cool bands, you know, and both uh, both uh, good friends, yeah. definitely. We've uh, toured with the, we toured with the Theory guys a lot, man. Yeah. So we've gotten to know them real well. And um, if you see Dave, man, from Theory, he's got uh, some most amazing pick-throwing capabilities that I've ever seen. <laughs> Yeah, like I've, he can literally shoot it across the arena, dude. I, I don't know how he, I don't know what it is, man. Yeah, <laughs> I've stood in front of Ingve. I, I defy too many people to get better than Ingve. You can uh, flip him up in the air and kick him at people. He's pretty good. <laughs> He's the master yeah, uh, at that. Um, do you guys, um, Battle Tour will take you pretty much to Christmas-ish, or, or, or do you have other plans beyond um, Three Doors Down? That's pretty much it for right now, okay. that tour. Um, yeah, that's it. And, um it should probably take us up to about that point, you know. Yeah, so we'll be logging. And, uh, who knows, man? Lots of, uh, I'm sure lots of cool things come in the future. But um, awesome. that's going to be a, a huge tour for us, dude, getting together with uh, good friends again. And, and um, yeah, we're looking forward to it. I mean, those are both powerhouse bands, you know. I mean, we're, we're fans of both those bands, which is yeah. another cool it. reason to be, you know. Yeah, that makes us fun. Another cool reason to get to tour with them. Yeah. And so it makes fun. Like, I love Three Doors Down, dude. I, I think they're great songwriters for songs. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Always have been. Yeah, they have. They've been doing it for a long time. When you think about it, it seems like only yesterday, but they've been at it a long time. Now, for, <laughs> yeah. for the fans, I know you guys uh, have a pretty cool thing on your Facebook page. If you, I think, if you register for like a mailing list or something, you get two tracks, including a killer rendition of uh, "Monster" you made uh, acoustically. So uh, it's a nice little perk for the fans. And uh, again, definitely. So make sure you guys go and uh, check out the Facebook page and and um, hit us up on there. You know, feel free to like write us like. Hit me up my personal one. It's just Tony Grieve on Facebook. I'm uh, I'm always on there, man. I'm a Facebook addict, so yeah. I love it, man. I love getting on there and chatting with the fans, dude. Excellent. Okay. All right. Well, Tony, I want to thank you for coming on the show, man. Dude, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. It's, it's cool. awesome. Take a good look at me now. 
still recognize me Am I so different inside This world is trying to change me And I admit I don't want to change with it And I admit I can't go on like this anymore better alone now See I'm torn from my mistakes and I stop believing that I could ever make things change How much can I take when I know that it hurts you How long can I wait when I can't go on like this and Take a good look at me now Can't you see I've changed? Erase this monster I become Forgive me for all the damage done It's not over, say it's not over I'm begging for mercy I'm only the monster you Speedwagon celebrates the 30th anniversary of the release of their iconic High Infidelity album. September 18th, 7.30 at Trim Total Media Amphitheater at Station Square. All those legendary hits from High Infidelity and more. Reserve seats are on sale now at all Ticketmaster locations, Ticketmaster.com or by calling 1-800-745-3000. Presented by Drusky Entertainment and Pittsburgh Concert Group. Right, there you have Tony Grieve of the band Pop Evil again. Uh, you can get their album. It's been out since June 
Um, you can get that. It's available through E1 Music, so it's certainly available on iTunes, Amazon. And again, if you go to Facebook.com and search for Pop Evil and like the band, uh, you're immediately prompted to download uh, two tracks, including that song. That is an acoustic version of the song The Monster You Made, which uh, the normal version is on the album. Uh, I have to admit, I almost like the acoustic version a little better, so... Uh, really worth your time to to click the like button. And again, thank you to Tony for coming on the show. All right, folks, that brings us to the end of this episode. You can visit us at ironcityrocks.com. We invite you to check out our website. Uh, we've got concert picks, articles, uh, and of course, 119 previous podcasts. So check us out there. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash ironcityrocks, twitter.com forward slash ironcityrocks, youtube.com forward slash yeah, Iron City Rocks. And uh, drop us a line, ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Uh, we have some exciting news coming up very, very soon about some growth in the show. So we hope you uh, stay tuned and check all of that out. Take care. <laughs>